0: I think that's a good segue, too, into what's going on now with you. You are anxiously probably awaiting the publication of your latest book, which is called, again, The Experience Maker, How to Create Remarkable Experiences that Your Customers Can't Wait to Share. The whole thing is so exciting, really, to me. Thank you. I'm excited, too. Yeah, I'm excited for you Um, because I know a lot of blood, sweat and tears has has to go into a book. What prompted you... To write this book? Well, uh,
1: interestingly, it had been in my head for a while. And it was the pandemic that actually got me to sit down and write it. When Mm -hmm. back in March of 2020, Mm -hmm. I had one of the best, I think the best month in my company's short history. Uh, I was on stage a whole bunch of times. And I remember getting home about March 11th or 12th, something like that, from Las Vegas. And I watched, it was almost like the in the movies when the power grid goes out and you see the whole rolling blackout in the city. That was my calendar right. and all of my speeches getting canceled, oh. right? That's what happened all together. Yeah. And so I sort of looked at it and I said, man, we're going to be here a while. And I took the next eight weeks and wrote probably 85% of the book in, in those eight weeks. I just did nothing else. I just sat down. I, You know, as you kind of mentioned the book is filled with stories. I love being a storyteller. And I had been collecting these stories for a long time. If you see me in a keynote, a keynote's going to have 12, 15 stories in 40 minutes. Mm -hmm. The book has, I don't know, 55, 60, 70 stories, because I sort of unloaded my whole library. And so it was really fun for me. Obviously, there's structure around it, and there's a framework that I've developed. But within that, it's Mm -hmm. all storytelling. And Uh, And so that, you know, that literally prompted me to write the book. I think more broadly, I felt like, as you mentioned earlier, I have a unique background. I came from corporate America. I've done these jobs before. I know what it takes to get things done. And one of the things on these stories that I tell, I put them through a filter that they have to be simple, practical and inexpensive. Because I know how hard it is to get budget. I know how hard it is to get legal approval. I know all of the red tape that people in corporations go through. That's why I'm not in corporate America anymore. (laughs) (laughs) So I wanted to make sure that I was writing something that anyone could pick up, be inspired by the stories, and then go back to work and actually say, why can't we do this? It doesn't cost anything. I don't need approval. I can just do this. Yeah. And I can affect the experience by making a change today. And that's really the inspiration is when I see people going back to work after a speech of mine or reading the book or whatever and thinking differently, I feel like I've done my job. And, uh, and it's remarkable to me because I'm an observer of customer experience. Everywhere I go, I'm taking pictures of signs. I'm I'm watching what's happening. I'm engaging with people. Uh, I love pe- teaching other people to be inspired to care about the experience and then to feel empowered to do something about it.
0: Yeah, love that. Let, let's get into it. You take the reader through your proprietary methodology of identifying and, and creating remarkable experiences. To quote from the book. And this is called WISE, the WISE approach, um, W-I-S-E. And it's an acronym that stands for witty, immersive, shareable, and extraordinary. There's also a secret acronym at the end that if the listener sticks around throughout the whole podcast, you'll get a chance to um, hear about that one as well. Um, So why don't we start with just sort of a high-level summary of what you mean by witty, the W-I-S-E. I'm going to start with witty. I'll do that one for you. Um, Let me see if I got it straight. You'll correct me. I know if I don't. So witty is not being like laugh out, loud, hysterical, or like a comedian. It's really about being clever and, you know, a little tongue-in-cheek.
1: And unless you work for a brand that is called Taco Bell or Wendy's, you probably aren't going to be hysterical or filled with humor in your brand. I mean, there's certain brands that have kind of earned that reputation. Usually, most people I meet don't work for those brands. Um, And so it's about, as you say, being clever. It's about using language to our advantage. And it's about refusing to be boring. We can have fun no matter what we're doing. Mm-hmm. I, I, I did a presentation a couple of weeks ago to a room full of lawyers, and pun intended. I said, "There's no law that says you have to be born." <laughs> okay, like there isn't. And and in the book, there's a great example of some legal disclosure that language that is hilarious and that is really well thought out. And the best thing about it is that people read it which is exactly what the lawyers and the regulators want. Like, why do you think that disclosure language is there in the first place? It's supposed to be to educate consumers, but consumers don't read it because it's so boring. And so we don't. We can actually have a win-win-win if we refuse to be boring. And I think, again, it goes for every role in an organization, and it's so easy because it's just communication. Look for any... P- any communication channel that you're using with your customers. And I don't mean just marketing channels. I mean, sure. You can look at a welcome letter that you send people, but look at the invoices that you send people or the, or the contracts that you send them. Look at your packaging. Look at what your website says in your mobile app. Look at when you go to your social media profile, what that looks like. These are all opportunities to communicate. And if we think a little bit harder, and try to have a little bit more fun with the words that yeah. we use, um, we can really change people's uh, thoughts about us.
0: Got it. Okay. Why don't you take the rest of the letters and if you could just top line Sure. Well,
1: well, wise generally is meant to make you wise to customer experience. And these are four elements to creating experiences that people want to talk about. You don't have to use all four. Uh, And it's really hard to use all four at once, But but they're stackable. So the more of them you use, the more likely you are to create a remarkable experience or literally worthy of remark, worthy of discussion. So we talked about W, which is witty. I is immersive, which is really about feeling the experience in your bones, having some emotion based on it. And often it's about consistency of experience. So Mm -hmm. we all want our experiences to be smooth and painless, no matter how long the customer journey is and how many departments we have to work with. We just want it to be quick and easy and seamless. And that's really about what what immersive is. And when you do it really well, you can make people feel an emotion attached to it. And that's going to make them much more likely to share it. The S and Ys is about being shareable. And yes, you could say, well, oh, that's obvious. We're teaching people how to share experiences and it as is shareable. Well, the, the reality is is that we often need to nudge people. We can't be so obvious about it. There's a friend of mine that likes to say, if you have to tell someone it's a selfie spot, it probably isn't a selfie spot. And the reason is the whole nature of a selfie is it's spontaneous, right? But if you get to a spot and it says, take a selfie here, no he wants to take a selfie, right? And so similarly with shareable, if you get to a point in your journey where you say, like us on Instagram and share your picture here, most people are going to be like, no, yeah. thanks. But if you create an experience that has a little nudge where you're not saying that directly, but you're making the experience so obviously shareable that people want to share. Yeah then you've got shareable down. And then E is an extraordinary. And this is the one that sometimes scares people because they think extraordinary means it's going to be expensive. But really extraordinary simply means a little bit better than ordinary. And one of the things I outline early on in the book is most experiences that we have are ordinary. And you know what people don't talk about? Ordinary experiences. Let me tell you about the perfectly average restaurant I went to last night, Denise. Said nobody ever. We don't talk (laughs) about that. We talk about great experiences and we talk about terrible experiences. And so it's my belief that these four, that these things, the whys, help you to take these ordinary experiences and make them extraordinary. So the E is really about where can we find something in our organization, in our customer journey, that we do things like everybody else, that we do things completely in an expected way. And how can we make them not like everybody else and not expected yeah. and therefore a little bit better than ordinary? And the examples again in that spot are really fun. They're not particularly hard or expensive. It's just about thinking differently and thinking about, you know, I I have this blog that I've been meaning to write in my mind about um, why does every on hold message say that your call is important to us and that your or your call will be taken in the order in which it was received. Oh. Is there some manual that says you have to say that? Or could we maybe use some other words, right. right? There's so many places, you don't even realize you're doing it, but there's so many places where you are just like everybody else. And yeah. there is, that is the way not to be shareable. No one's going to talk about you then. So that's really what Extraordinary is about.
0: Thank you for taking us through that. And, and you're right, the, the book is peppered with great examples um i don't yeah with with really great examples that are focused on b2b experiences and b2c well thank you for mentioning
1: that because i know you have some b2b listeners and almost always they come up to me after a speech and say well hey that was all great but does this apply to b2b and my answer to you is it depends are your customers human
0: Mm-hmm. And I wait for
1: them to realize, uh, what's the catch? Yeah. Well, yeah. Just because you're a B2B, you're not marketing to a building. You're still marketing to people. right? And those people are consumers in their, day, their yeah. day-to-day lives. They know what a good experience looks like. And you have the same obligation to provide them with a great experience, even if they are making a B2B transaction, versus someone like you, Denise, in the CPG, which is mostly... What actually CPG can be both, right? There's, there's, you guys have uh, B2B relationships and B2C relationships. Um, and, but the, the end result is it's all human relationships. We're always dealing with other humans. And so the way we treat people and the, the experiences we provide for them, it doesn't matter what our product or service is.
0: Yeah. I think that's good to underscore. Hey, speaking of CPG, let's, um, let's do a little live workshopping if you're up for that. And what I'd like you to do is kind of think about some of my colleagues in CPG Um, for the W and witty. So we're pretty good now at understanding brand persona and using that in responding to complaints and ingredient questions in social media space. Okay, so we got that. But what if you're working on a brand that being clever is not one of the top characteristics. So it, in that case, would you say, oh, okay, just maybe go there um, when they're in the, uh, when you direct message with them or just forget about witty and, and focus on some of the other elements in the, in the experience. So what advice would you give? And I asked this question because in my heart of hearts, I just think that witty might be weighted more for a remarkable experience, and so I'm giving it a little bit more gravitas, and and that's just my interpretation. So set me straight if you will.
1: It's an interesting one. I'll tell you that witty is the one that when I do workshops with client groups, witty is the one people are most attracted to because it's kind of the most fun, right? And so often if I I'll I'll leave it to a group to say, well, which letter should we start with? Everybody wants to start with witty, sure. And so I think that. Almost any brand, any product or service can have some witty. Remember, we're not telling jokes. We're not being humorous. We're just being clever. We're just using language to our advantage. And we are just refusing to be boring. So let's take, there's a great um, example in my book that actually isn't under witty, but I'm going to tell you it under witty. And, th- and that's kind of, this underscores the point that lots of times experiences have w- more than one of the wise pieces in them. And I, right. for the book's purposes, I had to put them somewhere. There's an insurance company. Now insurance is probably, I don't know, one of the most boring industries I can think of, right? So this is not fun loving. This isn't roller coasters and lattes and you know, stuff. This is insurance for crying out loud. Now, what they did was they had a goal of wanting, they wanted people to make sure that they were understanding the terms of their insurance policies. Because what really stunk for them is when a customer made a claim and the customer didn't know that that wasn't covered. And, and that's a bad time to find out, right? It's like, it's like kind of like, you know, you, um, when your windshield breaks on your car, that's a bad time to find out that that's not covered as part of the warranty, right? I would have rather known that at the beginning than know it right now because it could have done something about it. So, in order to get people to read their policies, the company hid a sweepstakes inside of the policy. And it basically, I don't know, it was on page, you know, 37 or something like that. And it basically said, if you're still reading this, call this number and you could win $10,000. And a woman did it and she won $10,000. Yeah. And that, of course, turned into a huge PR stunt for the company. And they got lots of press and it was in USA Today and all this sort of stuff. And it brought attention to the very concept that they were trying to bring attention to, which is read your policies before you sign them. And so. Yeah, you shouldn't have to put a $10,000 sweepstakes in there. But the point yeah. is, is that that's the kind of cleverness mm-hmm. that any company can do. And you don't have to do it with a prize either. You don't have to do it in a way that's expensive. There's some, um, I love looking at, um, at, at signage, but you told me to keep a, a, a CPG. So let's talk about CPG. Um, packaging is a great place, right? There are, um, I, I don't know if you've seen this, but uh, when now that we're getting so much stuff shipped in the mail, you look at the boxes that they come in and the box is printed on both sides. Now, once you're printing on both sides, you can do more printing and it doesn't cost you any more money, right? Hmm. So first, started people started uh, printing on the bottom of the box. And there's sometimes some clever messages if you happen to get down there, whatever. Well, then somebody realized, well, how about when people break apart the box to recycle it? What if we what if we hit a message under the flap, you know? And so then it's like, wow, this is like fun. It's like a, it's like yeah. a surprise and all that. And by the way, who cares what the product is, right? It doesn't <laughs> matter. It, it really doesn't matter. It's just that you decided to take and have some fun with the packaging. And so- There are opportunities for this all over the place. Plus, the products that you think are the least fun are probably the ones you could have the most fun with if you really were willing to. I'm thinking about a brand like Preparation H. Like, I would love to go work on Witty with Preparation H, right? We could have a ton of fun there. (laughs) And so it's just about this willingness to say, wait a second. Where was it written that we've got to be boring and dull and like everybody else? Why can't we do something different? And I think what you'll find is in, these, in the examples in the book, again, because they went through this filter of simple, practical, and inexpensive, it's like some of them are like, man, why did I think of that? and the answer is steal it you can do it yourself right you do it with your own brand but you can do it too just because somebody figured out to put a message under the flap in a box doesn't mean you can't put a message in the flap i wouldn't put the same message but i put your message Mm -hmm. and that's really what i'm talking about and so it's um i get it i get that um that cpg there's regulations there's you know the the where you're distributing the grocery stores and the pharmacies and all that there's shelf space issues there's all these things that you guys that you have to be pay attention to and i get it i'm not telling you to not pay attention to any of that but i also think there's opportunity in any of those places to just sometimes witty is just a little wink wink it's not meant to be hilarious but it's like if you're in on the joke, you feel like you're closer to the brand. I know something. It's like, I'll give you a perfect example of this. Has anybody ever pointed out to you that the FedEx logo has an arrow in it? You're welcome. Okay. (laughs) If you haven't noticed this, you're not going to ever be able to unnotice it now when you see the FedEx logo. Well, cool. And there's a story behind that arrow that is in their logo, right? Cool. That's like... That's being witty in my opinion. It's not funny it's not yeah. it's not hilarious but it's right. a, it's a right. means of showing some personality And okay. I think any brand can show personality if they want to.
0: even in social media space.
1: Social media is a great place to show personality. Right. I mean yes. I think there's lots of brands that show personality in social media and nowhere else. And I'm Mm. suggesting do it. If you're willing to do it in social media, do it somewhere else, Yeah, you know, and and be willing to, because obviously only a portion of your customers are ever on social media, let alone engaging Mm. with you in social media. And so let's put it this way. It's a great place to practice being witty. And then if you hit on something, maybe you start rolling it into your product or packaging or your um, customer service scripts. We talked so much about customer service. We script half of what they say, but why is it so boring? Why can't, we, why can't we give them some scripts that are more fun, right? And, and give, them, give the sure. agents more of a personality. Um, a great example there, uh, Discover Card when I, that I worked at, um, all of their agents are in the United States. And so the agents would answer the phone, hi, this is Dan from Chicago. And what would happen 80% of the time is the first words out of the customer's mouth would be something about Chicago. Oh, I just visited last, last year with my niece and nephew or, Oh, how's the weather in Chicago? It must be super cold. Or I've always wanted to go to Chicago.
0: Interesting. Either way yeah. it
1: created a relationship from the very first sure. part of the call yeah. just by saying Dan from Chicago. Right. And so wasn't hard, wasn't expensive, et cetera.
0: Okay. Thank you for that. Dan from Chicago. Let's let's workshop one more because we're, we're, we we want to get yep. towards the rest of these, um, and that is the um, the I for immersive. Now here's the here's the game we're going to play. You work in consumer relations team in the CPG industry in the leadership role, right? So um, you have a little bit more um, influence over how things are done. And so you want to really embrace this notion of immersive. And I think you talked about you really want to feel the experience. It has to be consistent. So, you know, what are some ways to create and execute this I for immersive? Yeah, so
1: here I would really focus on as much personalization as possible. And I'll give you an example. Uh, I work with... um, I have a lot of, I have a banking account and I have an insurance company or whatever. And every time I fill out a legal form, I have to fill out my legal name, which is Daniel. Nobody calls me Daniel except my mother when she's mad at me. So I don't (laughs) want to be called Daniel. It just happens to be my legal name. Now, how refreshing would it be if I called customer service and they knew to call me Dan because they know that that's what I like to be called, right? Right. Instead, what happens is usually the opposite. Almost always, they're going to call me Daniel or worse. Or, you know, what if somebody goes by their middle name? And so they go first initial middle name. Oh, right. What if I went by D Mark Gingis, right? Yeah, They'll call me Mark or they'll call me D, initial D. You know, they'll think <laughs> that D is a name, whatever. And it's like, we all know, we've all seen the research about how psychologically hearing your name is like one of the mm-hmm. most pleasing things. Oh, and right. so why don't. Consumer relations teams take the time and maybe even ask every customer, "What would you like me to call you?" Maybe you're more formal and you prefer to you prefer if I refer to you as Mister Gingis. When someone says Mister Gingis to me, I'm, I look behind me thinking my dad's there, right? But everybody's different. And so let's start there with let's personalize it based on what do you want to be called? And and you should only have to ask that question once, of course, because once that question's answered, you put it in your CRM. Every channel knows and you don't ever have to ask it again. Right? There's a story that I tell. It's too long to tell here, but there's a story I tell in the book about Chewy.com, the online pet supplies company. And one of the things that Chewy does so well is they ask people, what's the name of your pets? Now, granted, they're a pet's company, so I understand. But the way they use that is awesome. I get an email that says, is it time to refill Oma's food dish? You know, is it time to reorder powder's medicine? And they use my pet's names, right? right. Um, I got a birthday card for my dog from Chewy addressed to my dog. Right? <laughs> that is amazing. Now, I ask you. Let's say you're not in the pet supplies business. Is it absolutely impossible that you, too, know the name of your customer's dog? I mean, we know how people are attached to their pets. We know that that is a great way to get them emotionally attached is to start talking about their pets. So why not, even if you're a candy bar company, know the name of your customer's pets. Again, I'm making this up almost to be a little bit like out there intentionally. But the point is like, you know, and and what's funny is in the last year and a half when we've all been on Zoom, you know what's happened? We've all gotten to know each other's pets because our pets are all around because dogs are barking and my cat's jumping up on the the table. And we've gotten to know each other's kids and all these things. It's made us actually get to know each other better than we ever have before. Now take that, and empower your customer service agents to establish that same kind of connection. And when you collect that information on customers, put it in your CRM and use it down the road. But I'm thinking also, like let's think about say the topic of a particular phone call. And so I'm gonna reference a product, but you know, we're not talking about any specific CPG company, but let's say that I call a particular CPG company and, I talk about, uh, in the conversation, I have a question about, and then talk about my love for Kit Kats. Mm-hmm. Again, I just picked some some company out there, right? Right. Well, I called about Kit Kat. And so probably somewhere, somebody writes down that Dan's call was about Kit Kat, right? Right. But one of the things we know now is Dan's a fan of Kit Kat. Yeah. Right we don't think that way we think that dan called because something was wrong or what and maybe it was wrong maybe i got a maybe i bought a kitkat and i brought it home and the it was it was expired or something right but the point is you know i like kitkats now yeah. what are you going to do with that information how are you going to use that maybe uh, a couple of days after i call a coupon shows up in the mail for me to get a free kitkat oh my gosh if you thought i liked kitkat before Now, what do you think I think about that? And that's also something that people will talk about. And they'll say, wow, I called KitKat because I found an expired bar and they sent me a coupon. And like, I love them. They're amazing. We find so many examples where people who start off upset about something and get their problem solved actually end up more excited and more loyal about the brand than if they never had a problem in the first place. But my point in this is saying that personalization comes in so many different forms. By the way, while you have Dan on the phone and he's talking about Kit Kat, you could always ask him what he thinks of 100 grand or Nestle Crunch or some other product that you have and get his feelings on it. And now, you know, oh, he, he likes these two, but he doesn't like this one or whatever. Yeah, yeah. This is all information we can use down the road. Yeah. But we don't ask the questions. And we not, and not only that, we're not paying attention to actually what we already have without asking a question. Again, Dan's calling we already know he's a Kit Kat fan. Yeah. We don't have to ask him. And yeah. so those are the kinds of things I think you can do to create more immersive experiences because ultimately you can't if you look at if you say, "Okay, well, we're going to send everybody a free coupon for a free Kit Kat." Well, okay, but some people don't like Kit Kat or some people like it won't land the same way and it's going to be super expensive. Sure. Right? And so but if you know Dan is a fan of Kit Kat, and he's taken the time to call you about it. And now and yeah, it's a one-on-one yep. thing here. Now you can create an experience mm-hmm. for him. And the best part is is Dan's gonna tell people about oh, it. Oh yeah. So even though you're only doing it for one person, there are more people that are gonna benefit from that experience because they're gonna
0: hear about it. Yep. And that word of mouth is gold. Yep. I was gonna go through the last letter and I, I think what I'll do is I'll I will reveal that as promised, but I'm going to ask you to talk about it. The last letter is R and that stands for.
1: It stands for responsive. And importantly enough, it changes the wise acronym into wiser. Uh Because I wouldn't be doing my job if I just made you wise to customer experience. I want to make you wiser than the competition. And. In order to do that, you have to be responsive. And what that means is if you use WISE, you're going to get more people talking about your company, more people talking about your products and your brand. And if you're not there to participate in the conversation, you're missing a huge opportunity. So Dan goes on to social media and says, man, I love me some Kit Kat. And then he hears crickets. Well, that doesn't make him feel all that great. But the Kit Kat brand comes on and says, man, do we love me some Dan. Now Dan Aww. thinks this is the greatest brand in planet Earth, right? Because they responded right to me. And, I'm, and I gave them a compliment and they gave me a compliment yeah. back. And it's yeah. a love fest, right? And they mirror it,
0: it, let's just say, in your yes. example. And
1: if we go back to the beginning where I said that in no other channel have customers had the opportunity to share positive experiences and to talk about their love for brands. Except for social, being responsive is really about being active in social and being engaging. Remember that social media is two words. Most companies only think of the media part. That is part of it, but it is also social. Mm-hmm. And being social, being with your customers and engaging with them. We know, especially millennials and Gen Zs, they just want a relationship with the brands that they spend money with. It's really important to them. And I think as Gen Xers and others started seeing those millennials have a lot of fun with brands. We're like, yeah, we want in too. And now the expectation is that companies respond back and have a relationship back, that it's two ways. And in the book, I give lots of examples of companies that respond to compliments, but also ones that do such a great job of responding to complaints that they turn brand detractors into brand advocates. And that is really where the secret sauce is because too many companies are afraid of complaints. I think complaints are a huge, huge opportunity and the ones that embrace it often make loyal customers out of it. Being responsive makes you wiser than the competition. (laughs)
0: Love that. All right. Well, I will refer everybody to um, page 105 because there's a great little checklist there on how to become better at being responsive um, there's four points there. In fact, the book is peppered with a lot of these types of uh, checklists. So you're just going to have to go out and buy the book. The book is available now for pre-order, and um, it will be officially published, like we had said, in mid mid September. Thank you. Yeah, for taking the time during this busy time of year for you before the before the launch, I really I really appreciate it. Thanks. My pleasure. If you've learned even a kernel of an idea or was inspired by this episode please consider rating and reviewing the podcast on Apple Podcast. Be sure to share out the hashtag CPGCX because CPGCX really and truly rocks.
1: You have been listening to the My Curious Colleague podcast with Denise Veneri. Thank you for your time.